Well, we are jumping back into Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1. Hopefully we'll be through Mark chapter 1 by Christmas. That's the hope. By the time we break for Christmas, right? We've been in Mark, specifically this Kingdom Gospel part of verses 14 through 20, looking at the idea of Jesus' declaration that the the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The euangelion. I'm here. The Messiah's here. The Messiah's coronated. The Messiah is here. He's got a victory over Satan. And Messiah reigns. Repent, believe, and follow. And over the years, I've been in ministry now about 30 years. And over the years, I've gotten into debates with people over this issue. I've, I've heard people teach, I believe, erroneously this issue. And they divorce following from repentance and belief. They divorce those two things. They repent and believe is to be saved. Following is discipleship. You cannot divorce the two. You can't. People try, but you don't see that in Scripture. Now, that's not to say that when you repent and believe and you start the process of following, that it's not a process. It is a process. We, somewhere along the line, got this idea that there are some people who repent and believe and they're just jacked up followers of Jesus and they're all in But that's not the norm. The norm is, yeah, I believe, I'm saved, I'm good. That's the norm in the American culture. That's not the norm in other cultures, but in our culture, that's the norm. Because there's no consideration to the cost of following. We follow Jesus like we just decide we're going to join a social club somewhere. I want to be in the gun club. It doesn't cost me anything. It's a benefit. We see following Jesus, repenting and believing as a benefit to us instead of a stewardship for us. It's a stewardship of a life redeemed. And so, as we look at this, I'll remind you that Mark's very first line is... In the beginning of the Gospel, the euangelion, remember there's only three times that euangelion was used. When a king-emperor was coronated, when a king-emperor was born, and when a king-emperor had a great military victory. And we talked about that. In part one, we looked at the kingdom of God, what it meant. In part two, we looked at the word repent. It means I'm going this way, and I want to go that way. And God enables me to go that way. And I believe and I actually start walking that way. Now, following means I keep walking this way. It's ridiculous to think I'm going to repent, believe, and start going this way, but I'm not going to follow. If you stand still, where's Jesus going? He's going that way. If you stand still, you ain't following. If you stand still... It might not even be that you really repented and believed. 
Because if you really believed, you'd want to keep following. And so, as we look at this issue, we talked about repentance being a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. We talked about believing, meaning to believe to such an extent that there's complete reliance and trust. And I talked to guys, and Tom, I don't know if you remember when I sat you guys in that office years ago, 25 years ago, I think, right? And I, and I said, hey guys, we need to fill this out. I want y'all to fill this out. I am totally surrendered to Jesus. Guys have a hard time with that. Guys have a hard time saying, I'm completely reliant on Jesus. Because they go, I can't be completely reliant. I'm human. I'm going to fail. No. It, the issue is not what you're going to do. It's what your heart is to be. And what your heart is to do. I want to be totally surrendered to Jesus. Am I always totally surrendered to Jesus? No. But I want to be. And the issue is the desire to go to that place where I'm completely reliant upon Jesus for life. I'm trusting Him. Well, our problem is in America, we forget that a king, in a biblical term of a king, ruled where his will was obeyed. It's not geographic. And we forget that the gospel we preach determines the disciples we make. And so what happens is we have a bunch of people that say they love Jesus, they say they want to repent, say they believe, but they've been taught, well, you can repent and believe, but you don't have to follow till later. That's, that's works. If you start telling people they've got to follow. It's not works. It's a gospel distortion of a forgiveness-only gospel without bringing in the Messiahship of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus. And, you know, when I was in the Marines, I didn't get to choose where they led me. They, what they do is they bring everybody in, they shave your heads, they break you down totally. Right, Steve? They break you of any self importance any selfishness that is about you they weed you out and you know who remains the people who are going to be part of the unit and those people don't get to tell the leaders where they go their job is to what to follow to follow in the church what we do is we want to tell God where we will follow him we conditionally follow him that's not what he means when he says, follow me. Because we have this consumer-only gospel, it's produced in America this lack of commitment to following what it really means to follow. Think about the devotion of Muslims versus the devotion of Christians. I want you to think about that. They're wrong in what they believe. But I want you to think, step back from what they believe Look at the devotion of Muslims versus the devotion of professing Christians in America. Is there a difference? Yeah. Billy Graham spoke to a young Marine who lost his legs in Vietnam. He was at the hospital up there. He was visiting while he was in the D.C. area at Walter Reed. And this young Marine... Billy looked at him. He had, he'd lost both his legs. 
And he said, man, you know, he said, that's awful. I hate that you're going through that. Thank you for what you did. You know, I know it was a great sacrifice. And this guy said, my body, Mr. Graham, is expendable for the cost of freedom. This is a Marine saying this. We're taught to believe that, aren't we, Steve? The problem when we come into the church is we don't think that. We don't think that we come in to be able to be expended. We don't think we're expendable for the cause of Christ. Jesus said, if any man wants to follow Me, he has to what? Deny himself, take up his cross, which meant an instrument of execution, and die daily. That's what He said. So, as we look at this text about follow, we're going to look at Mark 1, 16-20. We're going to go back and we're going to read that. We're going to read Colossians 1, 15-22. And we're going to read Luke 9. I want you to hear what Jesus said. Not what I say. Not what some other guy says. But we're going to hear it from the words of Jesus Himself. Our leader. What He says about following. So, open your Bibles. Let's look at Mark first. Mark chapter 1. And we're just going to read 16 through 20 because we've already covered 14 and 15. In verse 16, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And they followed him. Pop over to uh, Colossians real quick. Colossians. starting in verse 15 of chapter 1. Who is it that we follow? Jesus calls us to follow Him. What does He say here? What does God say about Jesus of Nazareth? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body. Do you know what that means? He's the head of the body? Yeah. He's our boss. He's our ultimate authority. He's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, listen, in everything, He might be what? Preeminent. That means He's over everything. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh 
by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now flip over to Luke 9, 57. Jesus had been out. He had sent His disciples out. This is after Peter confessed the Christ. You are the Christ. He'd been teaching them about the cross. He'd been walking around with His disciples, doing miracles, doing a little bit of teaching here and there. And this village in Samaria rejected Him. But there were some that came up to Him on the road. And in verse 57, one says, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are the very words of God. Flip back to Mark 61 real quick. Mark 1. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Galilee, for you people who've been there, is beautiful. It's a beautiful area. It's one of the most studied bodies of water in the whole world. And when the Assyrians came down and invaded Israel and took a lot of them off, what they did is they repopulated that area with Gentiles. It was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. It was known as a business area. If you wanted to to tap into the spiritual education, you went to Jerusalem. If you wanted to tap into the business education, you worked up in the Galilee area. And it says, passing alongside the sea... He saw Simon and Andrew. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And they dropped their nets. And then he saw James and John. These are all people from Galilee. Why in the world would Jesus go to this pagan area up in the north to pick guys that were going to be his changers of the world? The guys that He would call to follow Him. If you were going to build a spiritual army, that's not the place you would go. These guys flunked out of rabbi school. And that's where He went. He didn't go to Scythopolis, which was in Decapolis. This big Greek city. Huge, huge culture. Education. Fitness. All the things that the world was known for. He didn't go there. He went to Galilee. Eleven of the twelve disciples came from Galilee. Only one came from Judea. Judas. The one who betrayed him. The most educated one of the bunch betrayed him. And five of the twelve came from one little fishing village named Bethsaida. But guys, this wasn't the first time here in Mark. Mark's telling us when Jesus called them to follow. It's not the first time they met. 
In fact, turn over to John chapter 1 real quick. And we see that the disciples, who would ultimately be Jesus' disciples, were following John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 35, then Jesus had been baptized. And it says, the next day, again, John, talking about John the Baptist, standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. We found the promised one, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter or Petros or rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Who found Philip? Jesus. Yeah. He found him, which meant what? He was looking for him. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So the, Jesus is picking these guys from Bethsaida. Guys, do you realize five young men from this same fishing village in an obscure place nobody in the world would have ever heard of, Jesus said, these are the guys I'm going to use to change the world. But what do they have to do? They have to follow me. That says they were following him here, right? When Jesus called him, they weren't following him. So they started following him. But then he has to call them to follow him. Because the kind of following they were doing was not the kind of following he wanted. And I'm going to tell you in my life, I was doing that kind of following until he called me and said, Are you going to trust me to follow me now? Because you're following me the way you want to follow. I want you to follow me the way I want you to follow. You see, the word follow in the Greek is duete. It means come now. Come now. When he says, follow me, he's saying, come now. I want you to come to me now. That's what it means. And so, three questions we got to ask ourselves about following. First of all, getting back to what you said earlier, why do we follow? Why do we follow Jesus? Two, what does Jesus mean when He calls us to follow? It doesn't matter what I think He means. What matters is what He means. By the way, guys, can we convince ourselves 
that some authority over us doesn't really mean what we want, what we don't want him to mean? Can we rationalize things away like that? Oh yeah, yeah. We just oh, I'm confused. You ever tell a kid to go do something? I don't understand what you want me to do. What? How how hard is it? Go take the trash out. That's simple. Yeah, but do you want me to do it now or later? I want you to take the trash out. How hard is that? We can be confused about anything we want to be confused about when we don't want to obey. We can rationalize. So what does Jesus mean when He calls us to follow? And finally, what happens as a result of when we follow Jesus the way He wants us to follow Him? So we're going to look at these three questions, okay? First is our motivation to follow Him. Flip over to uh, Luke chapter 7 real quick. Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7, it tells the story of a woman and a guy. The guy's religious, the woman not so much. So it's not about being religious. And so here's the thing in this little text, Luke 7, 36-50. There's things that give us insight to her motivation that we should recognize in our own life, right? As a motivation for why we follow. We can have lots of motivations for why we follow Jesus. But this woman gives us insight, I believe, into the proper motivation. First of all, she had a proper recognition of her condition. This is key. She understood who she was. Second, she had a proper recognition of Jesus' authority and His mercy. You see, a lot of times we divorce authority and mercy. Our children do it to us all the time. When we act as an authority in their life and they don't like it, they don't see the merciful part of what we're trying to communicate to them. All they see is an authority interjecting in their life and they don't want that authority. This woman recognized her condition. She recognized His authority and His mercy. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been there. And the third thing is, she had a proper recognition that only Jesus could bring true peace to her chaos. And she was willing to to risk being extra, just exercised out of the community because of it. Because for her to go into that Pharisee's house, was a huge risk. Because she knew who she was. And so, let's read this real quick. Let the Word of God speak. One of the Pharisees asked him, verse 36 of chapter 7, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment what would you have done let's say you were a guest there at Simon's house just a friend of Simon's watching all this You saw her coming in all tatted up, nose rings everywhere. 
obviously a drug addict. And you were excited about hearing this teacher share kingdom principles. And it was a very dignified home. And all of a sudden she comes in busting on your parade. Would you have been thankful that she did that? Or would you have been upset that she now has cut into your time with this traveling preacher who's been doing miracles around? Well, that was Simon's attitude. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, okay. Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards a woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water to even wash my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Ow, who is he talking to there? Simon? And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman was contrite. She knew her condition. She was a sinner. Most of us Forget that we're sinners. You show me a man who's not following Jesus, I'll show you a man who feels entitled. You don't understand. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand how they're treating me. You don't understand how she's treating me. That reeks of entitlement. She goes in and she starts kissing his feet, washing her feet with his tears, with her tears. She knew he was sovereign over all. Remember what I read in Colossians? By him all things were created. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, all things were created through him and for him. At that moment, she realizes that. Her whole life has been a lie. She has lived for the wrong things and the one who can free her is in this guy's house and she goes in and falls on her face in front of him. They worshipped. They worshipped. She worshipped him. 
He says in verse 22 of Colossians 1, He is reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. This woman recognized only His authority, but His mercy. And what did He say? Go in peace, in shalom. So, that's... That's why she follows. That's why she was willing to go into somebody's house that didn't want her in there. Would you do that? If you knew Jesus was there? Why do we follow? We've got to examine that in our lives. Because if we are following for the wrong reason, guys, we're not going to follow when the following gets tough. If we're following for the wrong reason, what's going to happen as soon as it gets bumpy, we're like, I'm out of here. So what is our motivation to follow Jesus? Well, it's not only our motivation, but it's understanding the cost. There is a cost involved to following that a lot of people don't even like to talk about. And I read it from Jesus' own lips in Luke 9. Our cost in following Jesus, first of all, demands that we embrace our alien status in this world. It demands it. But I can honestly say, when I I first started hearing about Jesus, in fact, for a long time, I didn't really get that. I didn't really understand that. Nobody even really taught me that. That I'm an alien? That I've got to see myself? This I can't, you know, I, I, I want to hold on to this world. I, I, I want to enjoy this world, right? There's nothing wrong with enjoying the world. No, there's nothing wrong with it. But if that makes you somehow want to hold on to this more than obeying Jesus, it's wrong. You're an alien here. This is not your home. You don't want to communicate that you even think this is your home. Jesus says, I have nowhere to lay my head. This guy goes, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. (coughs) Really? You really want to follow me? Let me tell you what it entails. You're going to be lonely. You're going to be rejected because you're going to be an alien here if you follow me. Listen to what Hebrews says. In Hebrews, this, you know, the great chapter on faith, Hebrews 11, talking about Abraham. And uh, all the great hall of what I call the hall of fame people of faith. Hebrews eleven. Hebrews eleven. Listen what it says, verse thirteen. It says, "These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers." and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. In other words, they're not comfortable thinking this is their home. That's the first thing, guys, we've got to evaluate in our cost of following is. That means I'm going to be an alien. And then First Peter says, why should we be surprised by these fiery trials? This is not our home. And and Jesus brings that out in verse 57 and 58. In 59 and 60, He brings out the fact that our cost is, it demands that we exhibit 
unrivaled devotion to him. Do you really understand what that's saying? Do you know know what unrivaled devotion means? Do we embrace that? Do we even talk about that? He says proclaiming the kingdom is our highest priority even over family. And I know that's sacrosanct in our culture today. It's, it's almost a taboo subject to say, well, you know what? you got to take care of your family. And you do. You love your parents. You care for your parents. But Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. When He told the guy that, the guy wasn't saying my dad's dying right now. He's saying, I'm going to go live at home till my dad dies. And then when he dies, I'm going to come follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You go proclaim the kingdom. You know what Jesus said in Luke 14, just a few chapters over? Verse 26. You know it because you've heard me say it before. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my follower, my disciple. Because proclaiming the kingdom, guys, was Jesus' highest priority. So if we're following Him, it's going to be our highest priority. Listen, following Him has a cost. You know I was thinking about as I went through this? Every patriarch, even going all the way back to the early fathers, they had to give up their first son. Abraham was told to go sacrifice Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Esau went off the rails. He, had to, he lost him. Jacob, he ended up having to go to another country to protect him so Esau wouldn't kill him. Then you have Jacob and his, his first son was, was a mess. He slept with one of his wives. And his favorite was Joseph. And what happened to him? He had to give him up. Went away. Hart didn't see him almost his entire life. From an adolescent to the time he, right before he was about to die. What about David? Firstborn was Amnon. Raped his sister. And then Absalom killed him. There's always been cost. If God says, Amos, I'm going to take your firstborn child. Okay, God, you're in charge. Doesn't mean I'm going to like it, but... I yield to it and I trust him and his character. An unrivaled devotion. We elevate in our culture family over over Jesus. It's not that way for other people in other parts of the world. In fact, we really have a hard time appreciating what Jesus is saying here, I think, in our culture. John Monger and Dawa Singe. Dawa grew up a, a, a Buddhist monk. Not a monk, but a Buddhist guy. and He served the Dalai Lama. John Monger grew up as a Buddhist in Nepal and Bhutan. Both those men came to Christ. Both those men were told by their parents, 
You renounce that guy. That is a white man's religion. You renounce it and you come back to the faith of your fathers or you take what you're wearing and get out and never come back. And Dawa left and never spoke to his dad again. Not by his choice. His dad wouldn't speak to him for 25 plus years until his dad died. He never spoke to his dad again because his dad didn't want to speak to him and wouldn't speak to him. He understands that. But we grow up in a culture here that really to follow Jesus has no cost for us. And so what does it produce? See, we care more about the approval and the love of our children, of our our family, of our friends, than we do the priorities of Jesus. And that's why we don't share the Gospel a lot of times. We're afraid it's going to alienate. We're already aliens if you're His. You can't be a friend of God's and a friend of the world's. And that's why I get concerned sometimes when I see some of these church leaders that are so praised by the world around us. I think of my friend Peter in Kazakhstan. He came to Christ as a 17-year-old boy, as a Muslim. He was at one of our events with East West when I was with East West. Came to faith went home and told his parents. They gave him 24 hours to reconsider and then they booted him out as a 17-year-old on the streets. He made a choice. He made a choice because he knew Jesus was the highest priority. It was an unrivaled devotion. Well, in 61 and 62, it not only demands that we embrace our alien status and have this unrivaled devotion, it demands we exchange our past without reservation. In other words, we're going this way and we repent and believe and God takes us this way and we're following and we don't go, golly, I really miss that back there. I really want to go back to that. I really want to go that way. Man, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? That's what her problem was. She wanted to go back. She wanted to go back. When I was growing up, (laughs) my dad used to, in the summer, we'd have to go work the garden. He called it a garden. It wasn't a garden. It was huge. It was like a quarter mile long. Like So it was huge. I hated it every summer. I hated it. I'm thankful today I did it because it gave me a good work ethic. But in the summertime... We had to get up early and go out and plow the field with a mule-driven plow. And I'm sitting there behind that stupid mule, you know, going down those rows. And my dad said, Doug, when you're doing the rows, you got to fix your eye on a point. And don't look back to see how far you've come. Look ahead. Don't look how you're doing. Just trust me. Just go toward that point. Because if you look back, what's going to happen, you're going to pull and you're going to get a furrow that goes like that. And he's right. And it's the same way in following Jesus. Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I strive for what? Going forward. I've got my eyes fixed on the prize. Over in Philippians 3, he says it like this. Philippians 3, verse 5, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Are we forgetting what lies behind? Are we to keep turning? Do we keep thinking about what was there? Jesus said, you know why He referenced that when He said, you don't look back when you're on the plow? He's referencing what happened with Elisha. And Elisha, when Elijah called him, Elisha said, let me go say goodbye. And that's why Jesus put that in the story because they would have gone back to that story. It was not a bad thing what Elisha did. He went back, he killed the animals and burned up the plow. He was never going back to that. And he knew that. And that was the statement he was making. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't go back. Don't go back. That's what he means when he says follow. You're going to follow him conditionally and try to tell him where you're going? That's the way I followed him. I didn't understand the benefits in following him the way he said. I, I eventually did. What does he say in Mark 170? He says the same thing in Matthew 4:19. Follow me and what? I will make you fishers of men. So three things we see as benefits when you follow him the way he's called you to follow him. The first is he's going to give you a life of purpose. When you follow Jesus, he gives you purpose. He says, follow me and. Follow me and. He's got a purpose for your life. And it's different than a purpose that's for my life. Which is different from the purpose from Dave's life. Everybody has a different purpose for their life. Their life experiences. Their history. I was in the Marine Corps. And I didn't get that. I was living out my plan. Not his plan. I was living out my purpose. And he brought that bird through the windshield and got my attention and let me know how quickly my life could be taken. And all of a sudden, I had ears to hear. And it changed my life. And from that moment on, I began a journey that I wanted to follow Him. I wanted to follow Him the way He wants me to follow Him. So if He says, Doug, listen, I want you to get out of the FBI. Lord, I've only been in four years. I was going to retire and then I was going to go be part of the church and doing all that stuff. No, I want you to do it now. Okay, I trust you. I trust you. Family members said I was crazy. They told me not to do it. People in my own church said, hey, really, now's not a good time to be leaving going into ministry. And yet, I trusted him because he says, you follow me. Well, God, you know what? But isn't it kind of weird that I'm going, you know, trust me, I want you to leave. Where am I going? Russia. But Lord, I'm an FBI agent. Like I, I, I like I was a Marine, an FBI agent. Isn't that going to be a little dicey? Trust me, go. Go. And I got to do things I never would have ever imagined. 
I listen, I was sitting yesterday at a law enforcement thing with 250 police officers. I'm sitting in there. Uh, Sheriff Waters is there. Uh, three or four guys from the um, uh, St. John's County that are high up uh, were there. And I mean, people from a lot of different agencies. And I'm sitting there and I'm one of the sponsors of the event. And, you know, Brad and, and Jeff Dalrymple get up and they thank me and, and other people who sponsored. And up on that thing is SWAT radio. And, and I'm sitting up there going, and so people come up after me and I'm talking to them, what's SWAT radio? And I'm telling them. And I'm just thinking back to where I was in that cockpit. And what God knew He wanted to do. And so... When God says, Doug, listen, I want you to go up to this firearms training thing up in Georgia. I think, okay, I'll go up there. That sounds pretty cool. But I get up there, and instead of being up there focused on His purpose, I'm focused on my purpose because I still struggle. We all still struggle with that. And I'm, I got tier one operators there, and I'm thinking, okay, I want to compete with these guys, and I'm a wreck because I do terrible because I'm not supposed to be doing that, trying to compete with these guys. And I call Lori ready to come home and she says, Doug, you're not there to shoot. You're there to be a witness. And I repented. And God did an amazing thing that week with opening doors for me to be a proclaimer of the kingdom gospel. Because I was following His purpose. Well, He not only gives our life purpose, He gives our life security. He says, I will make you. What do you have to do in that sentence, by the way? When it says, I will make you. What's your responsibility? Trust. Follow. If you follow, He says, follow me and I will make you. You ain't following Him. You're going against Him. Your responsibility is to follow Him. How do you follow Him if you don't know Him? How do you follow Him if you don't know His Word? You can't. Follow me, he says. I will make you. You live out his plan. Notice what they did. It says immediately they dropped their nets. Their nets were their source of income. It was their source of identity. It was everything about the security in their life. And he says, follow me. Follow me. And I'll, I'll do the work. You don't worry about what it looks like. Don't worry about success. Don't worry about how many people are coming to your church. Don't worry about how many people you see saved or converted. You just follow me. I'll take care of the rest. That takes a lot of pressure off when you do that. But remember, we live out His plan, not ours. We follow His purposes, not ours. And finally, a life of impact. He says, follow me. I will make you what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. You know what's interesting about that phrase? We see that and we think, oh, he said that because they were fishermen. He had nothing to do with those men. But if you go back to Jeremiah, turn back to Jeremiah 16 and look at this. And until I went to Israel, I never knew this, guys. I never, listen, read through the Bible a bunch, never knew this. For some reason, just blew right past me. Jeremiah 16, verse 16. He's talking about restoring Israel. He says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers. 
declares the Lord, and they will catch them. Who? People He's going to bring into the kingdom. So this is text. Jesus is taking them back to the text. And notice what it says at the end of that chapter. That they shall know that My name is Yahweh. When you catch somebody, can I ask you a question? You out there sharing the Gospel, are you, are you catching them so they'll know who Yahweh is or are you catching them so they'll just get their sins forgiven? See, there's a difference between a kingdom Gospel and a forgiveness-only Gospel. They will know My name. Jesus said in Matthew 28, He, he said, go into all the world, what? Baptizing, in the name of the Father, Son, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. 200 years from now, guys, can I tell you something? Nobody's going to care whether I taught them how to shoot a gun or not. And I've taught a lot of people how to shoot, but nobody's going to care. But for those that I've been able to share the gospel with, who've been able to share with their kids, who will share with their kids, who will share with their kids down the road. They're going to grow up with a godly heritage because somebody followed Jesus. Somebody followed Jesus. And by following Him, He made them a fisher of men. He gave their lives impact. So, as we close, what fuels my desire to follow Him? And what is the one thing that I'm struggling with right now that's keeping me from following Him the way He says to follow Him? What is it? Do I need to repent of anything? Don't leave here today with that hanging on you. Repent. Own it. Confess it. Tell Him you want Him to change it and then move on. And let Him do a work. And you'll see the shalom that He gave the woman. You'll see the shalom He gave Peter. And you'll see the shalom He gave me. Dave, will you close in prayer?
Amen. Thank you, Dave.